by our students in worship and so thankful to Corey for his faithful sharing of the word last week. Today, we're going back to a sermon series that we started three or four weeks ago, looking at the early ministry of Jesus. What is it we catch in Jesus's public ministry from the get-go? What was important to him? What do we see in his life? What do we see about him? But then also saying, hey, how does, if I'm his disciple, if I'm his follower, that I want to follow so close to my rabbi that in that day they would say you'd be covered in the dust of your rabbi. What, what, what about his life needs to be my life? What about his attitude needs to be my attitude? His heart, my heart. Okay, so we're going back again to Mark. We've mostly been in Mark, and I don't know if you've had the courage to turn over to the sermon notes in your bulletin. We're going through 11 points this morning. So if anybody needs to stretch or hydrate, maybe have a breathing exercise, we're going to race through this. Very few illustrations or stories, but I, I want us to really dig in and look at Jesus. What do we see through his practices? Again, what does it tell us about himself, but what does it tell us about who we are to be? Verse 29, following along, it's people. It's always people, and you can't miss that with Jesus. First, he's coming from a synagogue. He went there to teach, sure. He went there to reach them, that's right. He went there to heal, yes. He went there to worship. Matter of fact, you catch him so much in synagogues doing that that Luke eventually says in chapter 4, verse 6, this was his custom. He was always worshiping, always in synagogue, at festivals. But he also went there because there were people there what we heard so beautifully sung this morning. There, there's a meeting place for the people of God. Sadly, over the last decade or so, church has not become the central place for people to meet. But synagogue was it. That's where everybody gathered to be taught, to fellowship together, to catch up on gossip. Well, I didn't say that. But anyway, you went there. You went there because there were people there. Not only was, was he coming from a synagogue, but it says immediately he went straight to a house. Now this is important because you're going to see a pattern here in Mark and then later in Acts Gospel. Christianity is a house movement. Here, Zacchaeus. Later in Bethany, Jesus going to the house of his best friends. And, and again, in Acts, you just see it's house to house that the, the early believers would meet. So much ministry and prayer was happening from house to house. And ultimately, that's, that's, that's what John's gospel tries to say to us. That's the heart of what God wants. He wants to make his abode or his home with us, and so his people live that out by going house to house. Y'all, that's a, that's a worry for me. That's a worry for me because of the culture in which we live. I worry about that for me with you, and I worry about that with you and the people around you. I worry about that for me because, listen, we are, we're a large church. Y'all, we were so blessed to grow this year. We're over 2,700 members. And so there are some things that preacher can't do. Some of the house-to-house -house visiting I did in my first pastorate, that can't happen. But let me say to you again, something's going on, I want to meet with you. If, there, if there's a physical need, a spiritual need, I want to meet with you. You call me and I will be there. But some of that house-to-house -house stuff, it's just looking at my schedule and just the things, the things that y'all asked me to do. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could do that, and, and I want to do that. Um, 
but it's a, it's a different culture and a different schedule uh, with the size of our church. But I worry for us as well as believers together. Just looking at our schedule, we, Sarah and I are empty nesters for the first time. This is our year, right? It's small group on Sunday night. Monday nights I typically have meetings. Tuesday night Sarah's leading CR, and then sometimes I have meetings. And then Wednesday night it's church. I mean, you just go through the night. Friday night Penn State wrestles. That's date night. So, I mean, he's just got so much. We're just bombarded, right? And that's your schedule, too. As you look at what they tell us, we are working more hours than we'd ever worked. We're constantly connected by technology and just press. Um, and then you look at the fact that maybe we don't want people in our homes. When I was a minister of evangelism at Christ Church uh, down the road about 15 years ago, I was in homes probably three nights a week visiting potential new members. Three nights a week. You know how many, to- how many times we go into homes when we're trying to reach out to people? We don't. Why? Y'all don't want us there. <laughs> You've been racing all week. You've been at work crazy hours. You fought to get home, right? It's a fight to get home in that traffic, and then you've got something every night, and then a preacher comes knocking on your door, get out, right? And so we try to avoid that. Uh, if you need us in your home, if you're a visitor, we love, we'd love to finally have a home visit, but that's been our experience. We're reaching out in, in different ways. And listen, you look at our lives too, and we were there. We had three kids with the, the academic competitions, band competitions, sports, Youth groups, choirs, you name it, it's a racing culture. And it used to be parenting was almost over at 18. Oh, they don't leave for a while now. And then on top of that, many of you are gracefully and beautifully pressed at the other end of life. You're still raising your kids, and yet you're you're blessing your grandkids and taking on some responsibilities there. Or you're blessing your parents and walking with them. I mean, all of that stuff we're taking on. Who has time to say to somebody, come into my home and let me build some space and margin for you? But church, we've got to do that. I know we've got so much kingdom work we're doing in other ways. All of that's kingdom work. The way we raise our kids, the way we pour into our grandkids, the way that we bless our parents, the way that we support, all of that is kingdom work. The way you work is kingdom work. But if you watch Jesus and you watch the early church, it's always people. And they need us to be with them. That's what you see going on here in Mark. And you'll see it throughout Mark. It's what you see going on in Acts. Disciples making the most of conversations. The disciples making the gospel attractive. By the way, as Renee said, they, they care for one another. They have a concern for one another. The way they meet with other people. How, how is it that you and I can have our radar up, that we can be interrupted with our schedules? How is it you and I can make room in our homes to, sh- to, 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 to bless somebody with that and their racing frenetic culture to have an evening at our home with a meal and do life together, to carve out lunch or breakfast so we can meet with people and really invest. We are, just like Mark's gospel is a race, this sermon is a race, stop the race for a minute. Slow down and invest in people. That's what you see Jesus doing here, verse 29. On to verse 30, and it's more people. We see Simon's uh, mother-in-law, and you see really the priority 
of Jesus. They told Jesus about their need. And, and the first instinct, by the way, by these disciples is to go to Jesus. Is that you? When I have a need, I might run to Sarah. I might run to the, a friend. And then when everything else is exhausted, then I'll go to God. Or sometimes I'll even, before I go to him, I'll go to myself. Any of y'all caught me driving home, talking to myself in my car? Sometimes I do that, right? If I've got a struggle or whatever, immediately, hey, my mother-in-law has an issue. Let's go right to Jesus. Take it to the Lord. And we're going to talk about next week about his great care for us. But you see that on display here. That he wants to hear and he wants to meet a need. When I come home from work, what's the question Sarah asks me? Yeah, well, how was your day? I'm a dude. What do I say? Fine. If it's terrible, fine. If it was a great day, fine. That's what we say, right? She wants to know, and she'll press me for more than that. I love the care that Jesus puts on display here for people. If you've been reading along in our Bible reading plan, yesterday we were in Psalm 55. Verse 12 says, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. It's the same thing in 1 Peter 5, 7, how we can cast our cares onto the Lord because he cares for us. This passage reminds us again, just tell him. Take it to him. Maybe you need to do that right here. Maybe following the service we meet at this altar where we go to the prayer room. If there's a burden you have for somebody or a burden you have for yourself, take it not to everybody else. Take it to him. And then the next verse, verse 31. And this really is a three-point sermon. If you're a note-taker, go ahead and write down the word proof. That's point B of, of this verse. But I love before we get to his proof is that Jesus touched her, and he took her by the hand. If you're a rabbi, you do not touch women, especially mother-in-laws. You don't touch, it's in Leviticus somewhere. You don't touch them. Jesus touched her. Again, it just shows his compassion, but it shows something about himself. Jesus, as we've already seen, it can be a word, and he muzzles a fallen angel just with a word. He's not just going to let a word do the healing here. I love, I love this touch, this care uh, that Jesus has for her. It says something about his kind of ministry. And then the fact that he heals her, that's proof, because that's, that's a proof of Messiah. And that's why you have so many healings in Mark, is this reminder that he says this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And all these healings verify, validate that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But then also in this verse we see, what's her response, by the way, to this healing? It's so like Jesus. Because we're going to get to the heart of this passage, right, of, of this gospel. It's Mark 10, 45. Jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love that when she has a physical need met or when you have a spiritual need met or a relational need met or an emotional need met by God, so many times we can glory in that and rest in that. When she has this wonderful work done in her life, what's her immediate response? How can I serve? Let me, let me go and let me serve. 
rest, glory in what Christ has done for you. But then the model here in Jesus in 1045, but also in Peter's mother-in-law, she gets up with a servant heart and begins to serve. Verse 32. They brought to Jesus all that were sick, who were sick and demon-possessed. They, they literally pilot people. They lead people uh, to Jesus. Folks don't necessarily flock on their own. You get to the next chapter, and who is it? It's a paralytic. He can't get anywhere. They literally have to get him through the roof of that house to get him to Jesus. There is a, a reminder here. As Jesus has gathered these disciples to himself, we see these disciples living this out, and now the people of God are leave, lead, living this out. Let's get other people to Jesus. Time after time in Mark and also in Acts, you're going to see people bringing people. Not through church media or advertisements. You know that. What people need is another person. That you are and can be the very bridge of God to Jesus. By your invitation, by your care, you can pilot lead people to Jesus. We see it here. We'll see it in the next chapter. That's what it, that's what it takes, and that's how it typically happens. Verse 33, the whole city gathered, this pack of people trying to get to Jesus. And it's a reminder to us, wherever there is life change, wherever there is healing, people get curious. Now, maybe they showed up because they had heard all gossip and rumors about what was going on. Maybe they showed up just to see the spectacle of all of that. But what a great gift when who you used to be, and you know who you used to be, is not that person anymore. When you don't respond like you used to respond because you've met Jesus. When you, when you don't hold on to things like you used to because you've met Jesus. When you don't strike back like you used to because you've met Jesus. When you don't hoard and keep like you used to because you met Jesus. When there's a life change, people in this culture will take notice. That's what they did here. They gathered to see what's going on. When they look at, just to, to know some of your stories recently, when, when you should have been, as Scripture says, crushed, by what's happened in your life, but you're not. It's a great testimony to the strength of Jesus Christ in your life. When, when some of you, hearing your story, should have just taken what a person did to you and lash out and talk about, but you didn't. Instead, you did what the Greek word forgiveness means. You just hurled that away. You threw it away and forgave. People take notice of a life like that. We live like Jesus, and it draws people. It gets their attention. It's a good, good practice to look at my life and say, Lord, where am I making people curious? Through my attitude, through my words, through my life, where people can say, wow, look what God's doing in and through your life. Verse 34, and then he healed. Again, we see the power of Jesus. And you, we've been looking at this for two Sundays now. It's power not only over physical diseases, but the power he has over spiritual authorities. And we keep bumping into this. You're even going to see his power over creation, over wind and waves. And ultimately, in the next chapter, when he forgives sins, which is the largest claim that Jesus will make. God, 
can't forgive sins. Only God can do that is, the, is what they're inferring from that. That's right. Power over everything. And we bump into that verse, and we see again not only his miraculous power, but it's, it's a word for us today. Do you believe that? Does he have power over that struggle that you're having, whether it's an emotional struggle or a, a, a spiritual temptation? Do you believe in the power of Jesus, in the freedom that Jesus died for for us, that in his resurrection gave us that resurrection power in life? Or do we, and that we can all be tempted to do this, to resign ourselves of a life of groveling and stumbling till we get to glory? What we see on display in Jesus' life is a life of power. His power available, yes, for physical needs, but you see throughout Mark's gospel the power of spiritual freedom in people's lives. How do, how do you and I need to be expectant about that today? Verse 35, the scripture says he was praying there. As Renee reminded us again, prayer is key from Jesus from the very beginning. You know, our forefather, John Wesley, at one point wrote in his journal something about I'm having trouble getting up for my prayer, my prayer time and devotional time. I think he was in his 80s when he wrote that. And he was talking about a prayer time from, I think, 4 to 6 a.m. Anybody else need to write in your journal tonight? Yeah, I'm having definite trouble getting up for two hours of prayer and devotional time. But it was so important to our forefather, John Wesley, that every day was set aside. First things were first. And I think that's how you can explain the power of the Methodist movement. And when you look at Jesus' life, there's two things that happen in his prayer life throughout Mark's gospel. Not only is it a first thing, but two other things. Before anything drastic happens, and this is really throughout all the gospels, at one point before he chooses the disciples, or in John's gospel, before Lazarus is raised from the dead, what do you see in Jesus' life first? It's prayer. Before a work of God, there is prayer to God. If you and I are having struggles, maybe it is you and I haven't sought the Father well before we've tried to do these things he's calling us to do. But I also love that so many times after a big moment, after Jesus gives himself away, after he's blessed, what does he do here? He goes and finds a place by himself and retreats. We need that. I loved, I got to be come up Friday night for the IF gathering. Over 100 women gathered for this retreat. I love that we retreat. Y'all, we need to retreat better. Whether it's Curcio or Emmaus, whether it's IF Gathering or Upcoming Fight Club, our students lead the way on that with their, their D-Nows and ski trips and summer trips. Just, it, there's, it's important to get away and just enjoy God, be with God. How is it you and I need to retreat, carve out time? Because, listen, we don't make margins in our life for prayer. We're never going to be able to minister to people who are on the margins. You see Jesus set the model for us. Linda and I and Ben are talking about our next revival. Our hope and prayer is it's a prayer revival. Uh, to have a time as a church where we set this as a first thing. How is it we can be a praying people? It's, it's a first thing for Jesus and it must be for us. Verse 36. They hunted 
for him. Now, some of your, some of your translations will say they, they went to get him or they looked for him. I like the New American Standard Version of this verb. It says they hunted him down. They knew that he was missing, and they tracked him down. And really, why are they doing that? You're going to get it in the next verse. It's because the crowds are trying to pull Jesus into their lives. And Jesus is going to go, and he's going to get in the middle of all of that. But here's a reminder to us again. You've got to have those retreat times because how many times this week? I don't think we'll have time to count by the time it's time to go. How many times this week did somebody try to pull you into their stuff? A family member tried to get you in the middle with that other family member that nobody wants to deal with? Somebody at work that nobody wants to deal with, they tried to get you in the middle? People routinely will try to pull us into the middle. But you see here, uh, they're having to hunt him down because of those crowds pushing him like that. They hunt him. And here's the other good word here in verse 36. He's found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Uh, that's, that's his heart for us that we find today. In verse 37, it, there again is that pull to pull him into their mess. And I love the fact that Jesus allows for that. Again, we need to have retreat times and times where we step back and have times of rest and, and times where we remove ourselves. But what we have here is Jesus allowing himself to get in the middle. And can I say this to you? And it's not a nice word. We need to let it be Jesus who gets in the middle of it. Too often I put myself in the middle of it. One of the most correcting things I've ever heard was by late author, Christian author Eugene Peterson when he was sharing about some other things, but in the middle of it, he says this, your friends don't need more of you. They need more of Jesus. The greatest gift we'll ever give our friendships is Jesus. And so many times I want to stick my wisdom in the middle of that, right? I don't want to offend them. I don't want to, I don't want to be too forward. But ultimately, the goal of any friendship is I want Christ to be at the heart of that. I want God, just like it was for, for David and Jonathan, just like it is for Saul and or Paul now, Paul and Barnabas. I want God to be at the middle of that. So as good as it is for me to bless my friends, to give myself to my friends, ultimately what I want is not to get pulled into the middle myself. I want Jesus to get into the middle of whatever is going on with my friendships. And then verse 38, that I may preach there also. We've already covered this, so I'll be very quick. But why did Jesus come to be with us? Came to die? Yeah. Did he came, came, came to heal? Yes. But here's a reminder. When he calls out, this is why I am here, he says, I am here because I came to preach. That's a purpose in my coming. So you and I, as followers of our rabbi, there has to be an openness always to hear what Jesus would say in his preaching. If I haven't heard from him this week, I'm missing him because he is a preacher last thing verse 39 i wish i had gatorade for you or a trophy you know a ticker tape some of you could go through a tape and you know i know this is long and tedious but i wanted us to go through every word and, and just see all that jesus models for us here and when he gets to the end that's the word is practice or model it's just kind of a summary of what he's been doing the scripture here says Jesus is healing, and he uh, has issues. Not only is he preaching, but then he also has issues again with spiritual warfare. He doesn't just say these are the things that we should do, but he 
does it. When Jesus selects his followers, he literally is saying to them, not only do I believe that you can believe what I believe, we're not just learners, but he's literally saying to Peter and to John, Andrew, James, Nathaniel, he's saying, you know what? Like any rabbi who picks a follower, a disciple, I think you can do what I do. And so Jesus isn't just preaching Here's what you ought to do. He's modeling that for them. Y'all, it's one of the great gifts we'll give our children. It's one of the great gifts we'll give the children of our church. It's one of the great gifts that we'll give our community. It's one of the great gifts that we'll give our coworkers. It's one of the gifts, great gifts we'll give to our extended family. I've heard enough about your gospel. I need you to show me your gospel. I, I, I've heard it. I've heard you preach. Now I need you, I need you to model that me so I can see it more clearly and I know it's authentic. Your authenticity, the way you live out your faith screams to our culture what you really believe. What we see in the life of Jesus here through the way he prays, through the way he allows himself to minister to needs, through the way that he preaches, through the way that he heals, through on and on, we see him living out what he's calling us to be. How is it? You and I need to res respond to this, his word. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we have put ourselves in the middle. There have been times that we have drawn people to ourselves and not drawn them to your son, Jesus. Help us with that. Uh, we repent of that. Give us hearts and minds to always be ready to draw people in our friendships to you. Father, if we've been so busy living out our stewardship but have not made room for people who need us, need our homes, need our schedules, need our listening ear, need our encouragement. Father, we give that to you. We lay that before you, asking for your Holy Spirit uh, to prompt us, provoke us, uh, so that we will be people who are about people. We thank you for what we've seen about the heart of your Son here, about how people so readily brought their needs to him, Father, if there's a need in this room, we just take it to you. Father, I pray that we be real before you, asking for your help because there's power in the name of Jesus. You've put that on display in these verses today. Help us to trust that and to walk into that. Father, however you're wanting to minister to us in and through your word, however you're calling us to minister to others, we thank you for, we thank you for that call. Father, now bless our response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.